Previously on the Tony Kornheiser Show. So when you know this is not fiction on any level, and I, 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 I won't acknowledge it. I won't do it any sort of honor by watching yeah. it or, or, or saying, "Oh, I've, I've had this happen to me." Beautifully shot, you know. It's, I've it's, had this happen to me. It's been written. Certain things have been written about me that I said certain things in certain contexts. It's right. not true. And I was told, right. oh, it's just fiction. And I said, my name well, is in it. I'm not fiction. Right. <laughs> the Tony Kornheiser Show is on now. All righty, then. Let us start with the Nats. Drove me crazy last night. Tracy had told me during the day that the Nats had a day game that started at 4. I completely forgot about this when PTI was over. Totally forgot. Great start to the series. About... Is that right? Well, two quick wins the other day. Yeah, yeah but, but then they've lost the next two. Yeah. So they're playing Arizona, and it's about five minutes to seven. And I go, oh, oh, I wonder if the game is still on. I get there. It's the top of the ninth. Top of the ninth. The natural lever comes in. So you missed the eighth? I missed the eighth. Airs. No, I missed all of it. Yeah, so at top of the ninth, is it Machado who came in to, be, uh, to pitch? Machado, I, top nine? Sure. Anyway, they get them out. Now it's the bottom of the ninth, and Mark Melanson comes in, who people around here remember oh, sure. from when he pitched uh, for the Nats and then left the next year to go to Pittsburgh, if I'm not mistaken. He just left. Anyway, it's five, six, seven years, whatever it is. Everybody knows who Mark Melanson is. Melanson gets the first two outs, and then suddenly he doesn't get any more outs. And even Victor Robles, who's now batting 120 or something like that, Victor Robles gets it. Now you have bases loaded. You have the best possible situation. You have a relief pitcher gassing. And you have your best player, Juan Soto, on the mound. And you, this is righty-lefty. Chessie was, got so excited during the game. She was like that because she said, Soto, Soto's up. This is what you want. If you're Juan Soto and you're looking for a $500 million deal, this is what you want. It's the bottom of the ninth. You got bases loaded. You got a pitcher who's very, very nervous now because there's nowhere to put you. And put you somewhere, that's a tie game. And he popped him up. Melanson popped him up. And I went to Chuck Todd. I quickly started texting. <laughs> I don't know if that's a $500 million. Look, I want him in that situation every time. Sure. Every time. But he popped him up. Did you watch? I did, but I think you're missing the eighth inning. You intentionally walk Juan Soto to then go to Nelson Cruz, who had hit a two-run homer earlier in the game. And I think you I missed at, it. You, yeah, you look at that. The only way they scored that run in, in the eighth was because of catcher's interference. They're scoring because of errors and interference. How many times was interference called in the series? Uh, to me, that was he, was he was pressing. You have to look at it from the side of Lance and he goes, okay, I'm one pitch from getting out of this half inning. Yeah, so yeah. Uh, you knew he was going to go up there, and Soto looked like he might have been able to do something with the first strike. He, he probably couldn't muscle it out of the park, but maybe he can, you know, get it in between the outfield. But that's a that's a tough series. They should have uh, they should have won at least three of those. Arizona stinks. Yeah, yeah, no good. They stink. All right, let me move on to the news of the day for this show. If you recall, in the last show, I said. It's so unbelievably windy in Washington. I want to find out why it is so windy. Let's get Jason Salmonow on, because he's with the Capital Weather Gang, and people that listen to the show or watch PTI know that I am praising of the Capital Weather Gang all the time. That's great. So here's, um, here's a haiku from Shad. 
trying to explain about what is about to happen, trying to explain weather-related science to a six-year-old. It's nice. From Alex Lau on it's Wednesday's show, my almost six-year-old. you expressed interest in having Jason Samanoff from the Capital Weather Gang on the show to talk about why it was so windy. At first, you expressed concern about the fact that it was related to climate change or global warming. But then you got to your main concern, which is that it is affecting your golf game. Never change. Never change. And previously, this from Chris Bai. In Carmel, Indiana, from Camp Shahola in 1993 to 1998, on Friday show, this is a long time ago, January, you talked about the Capitol Weather Gang Chief Meteorologist Jason Salmonow. You said, I wouldn't know Jason Salmonow if he was sitting here with a jacket that says, I'm Jason Salmonow. <laughs> well, move over David Aldridge, because I know that guy. Here's what you need to know about Salmonow. He's a summer camp guy. In fact, he was my camp counselor for years at Camp Shahola in Greeley, Pennsylvania. Eat it, Pine Forest Camp, bunch of rich kid losers. <laughs> That's right. Salmonow, or Sammy, as we called him, is the Larry Brown of my life. He's the one who caught me sneaking through the woods trying to jump the canteen line. He's the one who would drive us out to the late night to the driving range after hours. He was a great counselor. He's an even better meteorologist. Here's to Sammy. And from Tom Till in Orange, Virginia, I haven't seen Jason in many, many years, but we attended elementary school, high school, and college together. Though not especially close, we certainly were friendly and would talk now and then. I can tell you from experience, he's a good guy, easygoing, down-to-earth, and very, very smart. I think if you asked Jason about meteorology, he'd probably answer, as far back as I can remember, I always wanted to be a meteorologist. Seriously, though, he was born to do this. In high school, he was a resident weatherman. Since most teenage boys are morons, we'd, of course, make fun of his love for all things weather, but you could tell it was his passion. He studied climate science and meteorology in both college and grad school. And when I first encountered the Capital Weather Guy blog on WashingtonPost.com some years ago, I wasn't the least bit surprised and was, in fact, delighted to see that he was the founder and head honcho. Frankly, it's pretty cool to see somebody figure out how to transform their lifelong passion into a successful career. So this is all that we've gotten on Jason. We introduce Jason now with the most obvious question, which is, why is it so windy? <laughs> why is it so windy? Wow. Uh, thanks so much for that really kind intro, by the way. And it's awesome to be on uh, your show, Tony. I uh, grew up reading your columns in the Post. And, uh, of course, I've watched PTI. I'm a sports fan. So um, it's an honor. But anyways, yeah. So, um, you know, April actually turns out to be the second windiest month of the year in D.C., only trailing March, which is the windiest month of the year. And so the spring, the transition season between winter and summer is when you have the biggest temperature contrasts, and when you have these big temperature contrasts, that drives the wind, and so that explains what's going on here uh, with all this windy weather of late. Is it climate change, or is it to be expected? Is it a little windier than normal? I mean, it just seems like there is sustained 30-mile-an-hour winds every weekend. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because uh, we have seen in the last couple of years more high wind days uh, than we have, say, in the last decade or so. Like last year, we had 10 days with gusts over 50 miles per hour, and that was the most in at least 15 years. And this year, we're also off to a fast start in terms of uh, high wind days, and we've seen the number of wind advisories tick up. So uh, there may be something going on. You know, we, we only have so much data, so example size issues. Um, but, you know, with climate change, uh, you, you heat up the oceans, you know, you might uh, add some more energy into the system. So it's possible we're seeing uh, a trend towards more windy weather. Uh, you know, and you, you would expect to see that um, early, early in the spring and maybe um, late in the fall. Um, again, when the jet stream's dipping down and you have more wind energy available. So one of the things that happened in this immediate area in D.C., is that the grasses that were planted 60 and 70, 80 years ago on golf courses 
are no longer viable because it appears that our climate has changed, that we are much more in Washington, D.C. now like Atlanta was 50 or 60 or 70 years ago. Are we headed towards some sort of apocalyptic weather thing that we're going to end up like Oklahoma, where it's 90 miles an hour of wind every single day? Yeah, I don't think it'll be that extreme, but we're definitely seeing a shift more towards more southerly climates, you know, like Richmond, Atlanta, places like that. So, you know, our heat will be more brutal. Our humidity will be more oppressive. So, yeah, it's going to get worse. And then, of course, our heavy rain events will become more extreme. We're already seeing that. Uh, You're seeing changes in the... uh, Coastal water levels on the tidal Potomac and the Chesapeake Bay, more flooding along the Atlantic coast. So, yeah, we're seeing some of these impacts. Um, but I don't know if it's going to be extreme such that, you know, we'll be seeing, you know, tornadoes like they see in the Deep South and in Oklahoma. But, uh, again, we are seeing certain changes, and uh, we should expect to see more of that. Do you know Kevin Sheehan? Kevin loves the I weather. I do. I do. I mean, Kevin yeah, is know, a I've, total I've, weather geek. Have you ever chatted with Kevin? You know, I haven't, interestingly, but I've heard about him for years, and I know he, uh, you know, I followed him on Twitter, and I know he does a lot of forecasting himself, and people have a lot of respect for him. He's got a lot of great instincts when it comes to the forecast. Seems like a really good guy. I'd love to chat with him sometime. Wait, he's actually good at this? <laughs> he's actually uh, good right. at it? M- more into fear casting. I, you know, I think so. You know, I think, you know, he's... Uh, He's, he's got some instincts for it, I, from what I can tell. You know, again, I just follow him on Twitter, and, you know, I... I, I I, I can't say I've followed his forecast that closely, but uh, he's got a decent reputation among the people I know, so um, I have respect. That's fantastic. We have to tell Kevin this. Let's get to the most important question. Sure. Camp Shahola. Where is yeah. that? How'd you get there? Who goes there? Who went there? Where's Greeley, oh, Pennsylvania? It's, a, it, it's an awesome place. I've got to give it uh, a, t- a ton of credit. Um, so I'm actually, I was actually second generation. My dad was there from 51 to 62. I was there from 85 to 2000. And then my son, he's uh, going there. He's in his, he'll be in his second summer this year. So he'll be third, he's third generation. Uh, yeah, it's an all boys camp. Uh, it's got a sister camp uh, called Camp Matimus. Um, it's in Pike County in, in the Poconos. Um, as Chris By said, you know, across the lake, there's a rich kids camp called Pine Forest. Also a great camp if you want to pay like $15,000 for the summer send your kid to camp but um <laughs> anyways no shahola is a great place a sports camp but also has uh communications and technology arts and crafts uh, ropes courses and all that stuff so um for someone who likes to do a lot of different things and is versatile and isn't necessarily a jock but um you know just likes to do yeah you know, he's got great waterfront activities it's, it's awesome and it's just got a lot of spirit uh those were some of the best years my years up there Okay, so I went to camp in the Poconos, too, but the Poconos are a big place. Yeah, um, for sure. We were, you know, we were up uh, north of Scranton, um, off 81 and 370 and stuff like that, between Hancock, New York, and Carbondale, Pennsylvania. Where, where is Shahola? Okay, if you know where, it's between Milford and Hawley. So, oh, yeah. Um, well, there was a great yeah. diner. There was a, great, there was a Milford diner that everybody went to. It's a really good yeah, diner. I don't, I don't know, know if it still exists. Yeah, I don't know if that's still there anymore. But, yeah, there are a bunch of great places in Milford. And, uh, yeah, it's, um, it's, it's, if you know where Lake Wall and Pawpack is, that's sure. about 15 minutes from there. Lake Wall and Pawpack is a huge place. I'll tell, you, I'll tell you something that happened to me. So this is, I don't know, 65 years, well, 60 years ago anyway, 60 years ago. Hawley, Pennsylvania, had a sweater factory at that time. 
And we used to go, and your, your father will know this because he's my age. Holy, yep. um, we used to go on sweater runs in the summer. Every once in a while, two or three campers or counselors would go and buy some sweaters in Hawley, Pennsylvania. And I can't imagine, H-A-W-L-E-Y, I can't imagine that still exists, the sweater factory. But it, that's not what, that's what I, I remember. Yeah. I remember yeah, it for not- that. Yeah, and, and so, so and well, you wanted to be this all your life. You wanted to be a meteorologist your whole life. Yeah, you know, it turns out I, I got the weather bug when I was about ten years old. Uh, we had back-to-back snowstorms in 1987, um, which dumped about uh, 20 to 30 inches of snow on DC. I was out of school for seven straight days. It was great, um, and I, you know, and I got hooked by those two snowstorms. And then there was another one that same winter, and uh, my interest in snow evolved into everything, weather, uh, thunderstorms, hurricanes. And of course I got really interested in climate change when I was in college and grad school as well. So, um, yeah, I've been able to follow my passion into my career. It's been great. And, uh, post is a great place to work and we're expanding our weather coverage. Of course we do not only DC, but we do national international weather coverage. So, um, having a blast, it's a ton of work, uh, you know, working in digital media, but, uh, I, I can't complain. You're not one of those crazy storm chasers, are you? You don't do that, yeah. do you? Well, you no, do that. You know, I've actually, I've actually only done storm chasing once when I was in graduate school, and uh, I haven't. I'm not one of these, uh, yeah, crazy storm chasing types. But I, I know plenty of them. Like uh, one of the contributors on my team, every year he goes out uh, to chase for about a month in May. Matthew Capucci. He's also TV meteorologist on Fox Five. He contributes to Capital Weather Gang. So he's about to head out. Uh, to the plains uh, probably in the next couple of weeks, and uh, he loves it. And yeah, a lot of people who are into weather uh, love storm chasing. That's a, a big contingent okay. of your uh, weather geeks or uh, tornado chasers. They love it. Camera any good? I watch him all the time. Is he good? Oh yeah, yeah. Doug's good. Yeah, I'm. I'm a fan. Right. Um, you know, we we see each other at uh, weather conferences, and uh, yeah, good guy, and definitely solid meteorologist. I think he's uh, a good forecaster. He. He keeps up with the science and uh, well-trained. And, yeah, I think he, I, 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 I definitely have respect for him, no doubt. This is great. I'm going to get you together with Sheehan. You can meet Sheehan. This oh, is yeah. great. Jason, thank you. Yeah, that's Thanks for being on. Absolutely. Do a good yeah, job. It's a, it's a pleasure. Thank you. Capital Weather Gang does a great job. They do. It's such a weird segment. That made me so happy. <laughs> boom uh, or bust. Yeah. Big boom. Yeah. Big boom. <laughs> Sheehan has respect. Oh, How about that? Wow. He's got a reputation. All right. Jay Billis joins us when we return. I'm Tony Kornheiser. Check out our new NBA show, Beyond the Arc, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, where you can find me, John Gonzalez, NBA insider Bill Ryder, and Ashley Nicole Moss, five days a week talking all things NBA. Whether you're looking for insightful discussions, upbeat commentary, breaking news, interviews, or coverage of all the biggest stories in the NBA, our new show is the place to be five days a week. Download and follow Beyond the Arc on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. The Tony Kornheiser Show. This is Jim Baznight, who writes, Thanks for your continued support. I'm pleased to announce the release of Hello, Mary Jane, and my vision of you from my latest intangible album release, Pop Top. Both are copyrights I control. This is Hello, Mary Jane. He's really good. We've had him on before. Yeah. He's really good. He describes Hello, Mary Jane as a grooving rocker with a ton of snarl and squawk. Does it relate to cannabis, children's shoes with tie over hasps, a peanut butter and molasses taffy, or a secret obsession with females of that name? How would I know, he writes. (laughs) It's good. 
plays in Jay Billis. And normally, we don't ever have Jay Billis on now. And we don't. Because we talk to Jay about college basketball or stuff related to college basketball where we advocate for Jay to be the head of the NCAA. But we never have him on at this time, you know, unless we're trying to work out a golf thing for Michael and Jay. That would make me happy all the time. (laughs) But we got you on because I will tell you, I mean, Wilbon claims he's never surprised at anything. So Wilbon says, I'm not surprised Jay Wright quit because out here in North Scottsdale, there's a lot of rich people who are 60 years old and they've been very successful and they've quit to do the next thing. I was floored that Jay Wright quit. Were you? Yes, I was really surprised. I, I was actually uh, walking down the street with my wife, uh, you know, taking a walk, and I got a text message from a friend saying, are you hearing anything out of Villanova? And, uh, and I said, no, you know, not a, not a thing. And uh, followed up on it and found out it was true. Uh, and I was, I was stunned uh, because I hadn't heard anything about it. Um, but I, I wound up, Tony texted Jay uh, a little bit later, and, uh, and he said, it's, it's just time for the next generation. And he said, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm ready to go. And I didn't understand it, honestly. Um, but, you know, people are going to take this. There are some that think that the changes going on in college sports are driving out people and there are others that that see it a little differently and think that um hey coaches are making so much money now they can retire when they feel like it you know stuff like that so i don't i don't really know i don't think it's just one thing that's causing jay wright to step away um i think it's a combination of a lot of factors so i was on the phone with dave sims play-by-play guy of the seattle mariners we were on the phone talking about something else and he says whoa Jay Wright just quit. And I went, really? He says, yeah, I just got it on Twitter or whatever he got it on. And I said, he can't, he can't be more than 60 years old. Now, 60 years old is a long time in my rearview mirror. I understand that people who are in their 50s look at 60 and, and can see it as some sort of mark. But if you look at college basketball coaches in the last X amount of years, Mike Krzyzewski, Jim Beheim, Roy Williams, 60 is nothing. It's nothing. Do you, and I'm not asking you to doubt um, Jay Wright's sincerity, but, you know, in two years, he'll be 62 and still feel really good. Could he? Do you think he's the kind of guy that would come back, or do you think this is it? I don't think he'll come back to Villanova. Um, right. I think if he, he did in a couple years, think, or a year, think, hey, you know, I'm, I'm still productive, I've still got the itch, I still want to do this, I could see him going to the NBA, uh, perhaps. But, but he is a, he's a Philly guy through and through. Um, I don't know. I don't think he would do this if he wasn't ready to make a change. And I just don't know, Tony, whether he he's one of those guys that needs it. I mean, you mentioned Jim Beheim, So Beheim all the time needs says that he needs it. He says every time, every person, uh, former coach that quit, uh, Jim claims that told him that they quit too early and they wanted to come back. And so that's why he says, I'm not going to quit until until I just can't do it anymore. And, uh, I mean, heck, you, you and I may have talked about this before, but when I was a kid, John Wooden retired when he was 65, and I thought he was the oldest man that ever lived. Yes, and, yes. And yes. now, you know, now guys are going into their 70s. Leonard Hamilton, Jim Laranega, you know, half the ACC seems like it's in, the, in their 70s. And that's great. But, but you know, Jay's, Jay's not built the same as every other, every other coach. And he's ultra competitive. He's one of the nicest people I've ever met. He's empathetic. He, he's got everything. He's an he's a, he's an extraordinary 
uh, he's got extraordinary ability with everyday Joe sensibilities. And uh, so I, I think he and his wife, Patty, I think they'll be fine with all this. I, don't, I, don't, I can't imagine that he's going to be itching to do it or didn't think this through. So in a calendar year, you lose Roy Williams, then Mike Krzyzewski, then Jay Wright, and they take with them 10 NCAA titles. I mean, that's uh, loss is probably the wrong word, but that is, that's a huge carving out of success, and that's gone now, right? Yeah, to have, those, to have that happen. But, but with, with Roy and Coach K, it made great sense to me because they were in their 70s, and it, right. was, it was time. Um, and, you know, Coach K did a little bit differently having the, the final year where we got to sort of, well, depending on your perspective, celebrate it or roll our eyes at it um, if you were, you know, a, not, not a Coach K or Duke fan or all that. But uh, it was like the Jay Wright thing is the one that was a gut punch to me because yeah. uh, so many, you know, like so many people now, because things are changing, um, and so many coaches have said, I see, I told you the unintended consequences of, of players getting all these rights and it's driving the best people out. I just don't believe that if Jay were, were 40, he would, he would have quit over all this. And I don't believe he quit over only that anyway, and retired over only that because, you know, Tony, all these, all these coaches, they're all great guys, but all these coaches, they never complained when their salaries went from a hundred thousand to 7 million. That's over right. that period, That's and right. and now you know now the players are getting a, a couple of bucks, and everybody's worried about it. I don't I don't understand it, but but they're going to use this. Some of these guys are going to use this as as fuel to say, "See, we need to put a stop to this," and they're not going to stop it. I'll, I'll just give praise Jay Wright in this regard. He didn't get at Villanova that many one and dones. I don't know how many he's ever had if he's had any. He took people of maybe lesser talent, certainly lesser profile, and he built them into a team. His teams never, ever underachieved, right? I mean, he knew how to coach Bass. I'm not saying, I'm not trying to compare him to other people with one and dones, but with what he had, he really made the most of it, I think. I think that's exactly right, and I think he built the best culture in, in basketball, not just college basketball, but basketball period at Villanova. But, Tony, that may be part of, of the reasoning uh, behind him stepping away now because it, his way is way harder right now than it has been mm-hmm. in years past. Mm-hmm. And so he, he's losing Colin Gillespie and Jermaine Samuels this year who came back for another year. They went to the Final Four. But he's going to have to retool this thing, and he doesn't take transfers. Um, he doesn't do it with freshmen. So it's going to be a methodical process, and, and it's hard. And I think it's gotten even harder now because of the transfer portal. He can have guys leave, but he's not going to bring them in. And, uh, and so I, I think, I, think the, I haven't talked to him about that part of it, but I think that's actually part of this, too, in a, a laundry list of things that, that made him ready to move on. There are people who leave early. Uh, the example I gave yesterday on PTI, Bill Cower left. He was between the ages of 49 and 50. He was right around there. And everybody said, he'll be back, he'll be back, he'll be back. He's not back, and he's never going to be back because nobody wants him now. And he seems to be very happy doing what he does on television. You don't automatically come back. But you mentioned, you know, maybe Jay Wright would come back to the NBA. If I'm not mistaken, he's turned down the Sixers at least twice and he is a Philly guy, it's hard for me to believe he would leave the Philadelphia area and coach anybody else. I, I don't know. What do you think? 
I mean, it's a, it, to me, it's a gigantic maybe that in a year uh, or two, uh, it, it, again, it's if he gets the itch because people yeah. are going to make runs at him. Uh, and, oh, yeah. And college programs, pro, you know, pro teams will make runs sure. at him. Yeah. Uh, and, but, it, you know, if he does what, what some of the other guys that have left early have done, uh, maybe uh, get into TV, do a little bit of that, run around, see his friends, run practices and all, he, he'll, I think he'll enjoy the time off. But after a period of time, who knows at, the, at his age whether he decides, you know what, I'm, I'm tired of playing golf and, and going to dinner and all this stuff and, and doing stuff that everybody else likes. I want to get back in the fight. Maybe he will. I, I don't know. I, I'm not counting on that. And I think he's, he's – Jay's as you know, Jay's really smart. And yeah. he's not going to make a decision that he's not going to be happy with and that his family's not going to be happy with. So, uh, you know, I don't, I don't doubt that, uh, that this is actually it. But but who knows? I mean, he's so young. You'll you'll never you know you never say never in this kind of situation. I remember we had this conversation he and I about three or four years ago, and Larry Brown used to go to his practices all the time. Larry Brown loves Jay Wright, and Jay Wright said to me, "You got to get your counselor out of here because he's here every day. He's here every day. He wants to coach." And you know, just looking back, just looking back at that, like he seemed Jay Wright seemed to be sort of forecasting. I don't want to do this forever. I'm looking at a guy who wants to do this forever. I'm not sure that's what, what's there for me. I'm, I'm, I'm clutching at straws here because I'm trying to understand it. Because to me, and I'm in my 70s and I'm working every day, to me at 60, you just can't walk. Not at 60, you know? So. Yeah, I, I mean, I look at it um, kind of like Jay does. And, you know, I, I know in my job, whether it's, you know, my law job or, or broadcasting, I'm going to be out before I get pushed. I know that. And, uh, and I think he looks at it the same way. But, you know, when I think when you can feel, at least for me, when you can feel um, that you're not as jazzed up about the day-to-day part of the grind of it, um, that's when it's time to go. That, that's the way, the way I look at it. Um, and when you're not as excited, you know, to sort of get up in the morning, maybe get on an airplane, go to a game or do this stuff, uh, maybe it's time to, to think about getting out rather than when you see the results. Uh, you know, the, because the, when when you get tired of the day to day part of it, the, it, sooner or later the results are going to get are, are going to yeah. be obvious. Yeah. And uh, yeah. and Jay's smart enough to know, hey, if, if I'm not if I don't want to do this anymore, I got to go before the before the results make it clear. Thank you so much for talking about him to me. I mean, I I know you really like him. I really like him. I think it's a loss for basketball, but I'm sort of hopeful he'll get back into it someday. Thank you, Jay. Thank you always, Tony. Jay Billis, boys and girls. There's nobody really better than Jay Billis. Yes, <laughs> you know, yes. Like, there's like there's the top of the line. <laughs> He's at the top of the line. We'll take a break. When we return, David Aldridge will join us. We will talk about the NBA playoffs. I'm prime for this because it's all Wilbon talks about. <laughs> you know, so I can't get away from it. I'm Tony Kornheiser. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. Once again, this is Jim Baznight. This is a song called My Vision of You. Michael, if people want to send in original music like Jim Baznight, how do they do it? Send us your music by emailing it to jingles at TonyKornheiserShow.com. David Aldrich joins us now. You heard him the other day. Because we played Wendy Rieger stuff, and you heard David, and you heard me, and of course you heard Wendy. Do you remember 
when the three of us, was it the New Zealand embassy or was it some other crazy embassy when we did um, the meatloaf song? Do you remember? Because I have difficulty remembering anything. Yes, of course I remember it. I thought it was the, wasn't the British embassy? I don't think we were good enough for the British embassy. <laughs> I, I think it was a British colony, which right. is why I we thought it was New Zealand, but I'm not, I'm not certain. And we did Just Paradise by the Dashboard right. Light. And yes, you did, you did the Phil Rizzuto part. I did. Yeah. I certainly remember that and remember, you know, that was the first time. I'm pretty sure that was the first time I had actually met Wendy. But, um, and, you know, just like everybody else was delighted in being in her company because she was a delightful person in all ways and just a wonderful, effervescent um, person. And you just, you just like, you know, when you, when you would hear Rieger's going to be on tomorrow, you'd get happy. You'd be happy because you knew she was going to be funny and she was going to say stuff that would make everybody laugh and, and make everybody feel good. And, and it was just, she's just wonderful. She's a wonderful person. And, you know, we're all a little diminished this week, aren't we? I mean, we just, it's just not, you just don't. You don't have people like that come through your orbit very often that you just really enjoy and that everybody, I think, really enjoys being around. I'm, I'm going to say something here. I just I find it. I don't think there's a man alive who wouldn't fall in love with Wendy Rieger the first time he met her. Right. It's just not possible. She's, <laughs> she was so um, funny and warm and friendly and sexy and crazy, and you just said, "Wow, she's a right." She was a wow, a total wow. Yeah, no, she's she's a wow in all ways, and and, and just yeah. you know, uh, uh, you know, I fall in love with women's minds. I really do, and I just was fascinated by her mind. <laughs> yeah, she's got a she's got a great way about her, and then you know. I would read her various dating dispatches and, and marvel <laughs> at how, how, how what a good writer she was. And she yes. was a really good writer, you know. And Vance said that, you know, Vance said she was the best writer in the shop. Um, and that's a big compliment coming from Jim Vance, you know. So, um, yeah, she was just, yeah. We, I think everybody was in love with Rieger at yes. one level, at one point or another, right? Because just, yes, she's delightful. Hundred percent. All right, uh, so I'm, uh, I now have to talk about the NBA playoffs with Wilbon constantly for at least 10 yeah. weeks. Constantly. It's like, it's, and I get texts in the middle of the night. I, well, I wake up at, you know, 5 and I look and, and he's screaming about the guy at Minnesota. How do you not call a timeout with a moron? They had a 15 0 run, a 21. And, okay, fine. But it does seem to me, David, and I know that you pay attention to this, it does seem to me that the NBA right now, right at this moment, this year for certain, was pretty much defined by injuries to big stars. Big stars. Zion Williamson didn't play a minute. Damian Lillard mm -hmm. didn't play a minute. Anthony Davis was out a lot. Kawhi didn't play a minute. Paul George was out a lot. And almost all their teams are done now. And now in the playoffs... Luka Doncic, even though they're 2-1, Luka Doncic yeah. hasn't played. And Chris Middleton's not going to play in the, for the rest of this series. And we don't know about Devin Booker. Do you have any theories? This is different than other sports. Do you have any theories as to why this is happening now? 
Well, Tony, I would say it happens every year. I mean, every year is defined by who's healthy at the end of the playoffs, not who the best team is, but who the relatively healthiest team is, and that's the team that usually wins. I mean, remember, you know, Chris Paul was injured yeah. again, you know, yes. last year um, during the playoffs. Yes. So it, they managed to overcome it because the rest of their players were healthy. But it's always about injuries. That's always what it is about the NBA. I think it's about that with most sports, uh, most team sports, is who the healthiest team is. So I don't know that this year is any different than any other year. Um, what, what, what is different is that the injuries really did kind of cripple both L.A. franchises. That is yeah. a unusual circumstance um, for all of their key players, their marquee players, the four guys that really define the Clippers and the Lakers as superstars were all injured for long stretches this season. And as you mentioned, Kawhi didn't play a minute. Um, So that's unusual because we expect to see one of those LA teams go deep into the playoffs and neither one of them even made the playoffs. And that's unusual. Well, I was trying to theorize about this and, and, let, let's just, in football, they always say next man up. No problem, next man up. Although there's a problem with a quarterback. But in, in sure. a lot of positions, there's not a problem. The problem in the NBA, it seems to me, with next man up is that he really isn't as good as the guy who just went out, and then you're going to ask him to play 40 minutes. I mean, it, 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 I think you notice in the NBA, day-to-day, I think you notice those injuries because they really deplete your chances, right? Well, sure. I mean, your superstars are with the guys that carry you, you know, I mean, they carry you in November, they carry you in March, they carry you in June, you know, I mean, they're the best yeah. players. That's why they're the superstars. So if you're, if your superstar is injured and, and not able to play at, at his highest level, there's a ripple effect. And of course there is. And they're always, and again, there always has been, I mean, if you go all the way back to, the Celtics in the mid eighties, when, when bird and, and McHale started to break down, the Celtics be, were no longer, you know, elite. They, they just weren't, you know, they could make yeah. the playoffs, but they weren't a threat to win a championship because their best players weren't able to play at their best. So when, when, when the Lakers played the Pistons in 1990 and Byron Scott and then magic Johnson, both pulled hamstrings, the Lakers were done. <laughs> you know what I mean? But, no, there's no, there's no science or calculus to it. You need your best players. You need your star players to be stars um, when it counts the most because they get, you know, other teams with seven cracks at you will exploit your team's weaknesses, and every team has weaknesses, and they'll, they'll hunt and attack the players who aren't good defensive players, and they'll make people who can't shoot shoot the ball. We saw that last night with with Memphis. Hey, Patrick Beverly, you want to shoot five threes? Go ahead. Yeah. Go right ahead. Yeah. You know, they yeah. don't care. You know, and he went 0 for 5. And so, um, and again, Minnesota lost because Carl Anthony Towns, who's purportedly a superstar, did nothing. Took four shots. <laughs> I mean, nothing. He had like eight points. Are you kidding me? Yeah, You're the number nothing. one overall pick. What are you doing? Yeah, no, no. I, yeah, you know, I, you yeah. see it more in basketball because it's five people out there. It's not nine. It's not eleven. You see it more in basketball. Is there any one series that has surprised you so far? Um, I, I yeah, I'm a little surprised that Philly is up three zero on Toronto. Not that I didn't think Philly would win the series. I thought they would, but I thought it would be a really, really competitive series, and it wasn't competitive in Philly. 
it was competitive in Toronto to be sure. Yep. And Toronto could yep. have won that game, but, but Philly has really at, at all the key moments so far in the first three games, Philly has dominated Toronto. And again, I, you know, you go into it and you say, of course they have a size advantage with Embiid and they're bigger, and, but Toronto was an excellent defensive team. I mean, they're outstanding and Philly's really kind of taken them apart defensively. And that is a bit of a surprise to me um, after, after three games. And, you know, I mean, for all intents and purposes, that series is over. Now I know yep. people yep. always talk about Doc's problems with three, one leads, but this is, this is three Oh, I just don't, yeah. Boy, it, it would be a colossal collapse if they if this series got competitive at all. So that would the, be the, the main one to me that, that's been surprising so far. The one that I've watched with the most attention, because I'd love to watch Golden State, but that's on too late for me. The one that I've watched with the yeah. most attention is is Boston and Brooklyn. Because there's, there's yeah. just... There's a lot to that. You know, there's a lot of layers to that, and it can really intrigue you. They've both been great games. For whatever yeah. reason, Durant can't shoot, and, and the defense has been great, but those have been great games. Can the Boston yeah. Celtics keep this up? I, I, I'm not certain they can. Um, yeah, I think they can keep it up defensively. I mean, Tony, they've been the best defensive team in the oh. league yeah. for months now, not yeah. just yeah. the last couple of weeks. So they've been outstanding. Now, now a lot of that was with Robert Williams, and again, as we just talked about, he's injured right now and he's not playing. So, um, but their their wings have been so good. I've never seen Kevin Durant this discombobulated. Yeah, where he just looks like a guy out there. I mean, he's he's not on ba- he's not on balance. He's he's throwing the ball away. He's, he's getting stripped of the ball. Um, he's always been able to. No matter what the circumstance, he has always been able to get his shot off. That's something that's never been a problem for Kevin Durant. He gets to his spot. So it's just a matter of does he make or miss. He's not even getting to his spot in the first two games of this series. They are making, they're pushing him away from his spot. And then when he tries to reverse it, somebody's coming and stripping him. It's been, it's been stunning to watch how bad he's been the first two games. And, I don't know. I mean, I'm not going to give. I'm going to give it all the credit to Boston's defense, but I think you have to give a lot of the credit to Boston's defense because they have really taken him out of his comfort zone the first two games. I mean, it's been it's been remarkable, and you know, I, I think Steve Nash has to lengthen his rotation. I mean, he's got to get somebody else out there besides Durant and, and Kyrie that can score. I think he's got to play Lamarcus Aldridge some in this series. I mean, LaMarcus Aldridge is a bucket still. I mean, he can still get his, you know, he can still make shots. And I think they've got to get him on the floor. They just don't have enough people who can make shots. If they take, if they take Durant away, that's a lot on Kyrie Irving. I mean, he scored, you know, he had a huge game in game one, and that still wasn't enough, you know. So they've got to get another person on the floor that can score. So this is th- exactly what you're talking about is the difference in – it's it's more drastic than any other sport. The difference between a regular Tuesday night game in Orlando and a seven-game series. And yeah. if you have a good coach and a good general manager and you plot how you can beat this team, and every time Irving and Durant get the ball, there are six hands around them. <laughs> you know, right. I mean, they are – I'm not going to – it's – 
it's obvious that Steve, no, Steve Nash is being outcoached. But to me, the credit goes to the coach at Boston and the GM at Boston who have worked together for a while and were primed to look at Brooklyn and say, we can stop them. And the players have bought in so far, David. Total buy-in. Total. Well, again, that's where, you know, you know, Ime Udoka has been terrific um, turning that that group of players into a team. I mean, they yeah. really have yeah. become a unit. Um, and again, based on, you know, with defenses, they're kind of calling card. They've, they've been outstanding defensively since January. You know, I mean, so this is not a fluke flash in the pan. He's gotten them to kind of all buy in, to your point. Um, and they, they have long, switchable personnel, and they keep bringing guys in that are 6'7 and are lengthy. And, and, but, it, you know, it starts with Smart, and it starts with Tatum, and it starts with Brown. Those three guys are everywhere, it seems, on the floor. And they're yes. always swiping at the ball, and they're always – and they are really in Kevin Durant's space. They're taking his airspace away. And I just haven't seen anybody that's been able to do that on a regular basis. So, you know, I you, you ask yourself, well, what's the counter to that? Well, I think you got to you got to maybe get Durant in the post a little bit more. You know, like make him put get him in a in a you know it's it's a little less comfortable for him. But you know, there's 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 more opportunity for him to attack the basket than than off the dribble where they're really just not letting him do that. Um, and so, you know, Boston's. Um, you know, Ime is, is a, a Spurs guy, he's a Popovich guy, so he's part, he's from that tree, um, and certainly knows what he's doing. And 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 they've all been terrific defensively. And it's not that doesn't surprise me. But what surprises me is that Kevin Durant has just been taken out of this series the yes. first two games, yes. and yes. I never thought I would see that. Uh, I say on the air all the time, he's the best basketball player in the world. But right now, Boston is showing he's not. Right now. Now, he may be, yeah. again, on game three. He may be. I'll get you out of here yeah. on this. Wilbon and I talked about this the other day. It's troubling to us. I don't know how you feel about it. The Laker HBO mm-hmm. series. You know all these guys they're talking about. Yeah. You know yeah. them. How do you yeah. feel about this? Well, it's funny that you mentioned that because I wrote about this the other day. Um, I know it was about Kyrie Irving getting fined. And my the point of the column was the NBA was completely right to find him. You can't flip the bird. You can't curse out fans. But I understand why Kyrie did it. I completely yeah. understand why he did yes. it. Yes, sure. Um, and, and so I'm, I'm sympathetic to, to a human being that's subject to, you know, two and a half hours of verbal abuse not being able to retaliate in any way. You know, I'm, I'm very empathetic to that. And I said, in, 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 as part of that, I think the, 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 the series, as a television series, is entertaining, but it's terrible, awful history, and it's really unfair to Jerry West. I mean, it's oh. just really unfair <laughs> to Jerry West. You know, who... who and, and the reason why everybody in the NBA community has, has said this and has amplified it is because Jerry West has been so upfront and frank over a long period of time now about his mental health struggles. Like he has problems, you know, and he's been very forthright about those things. And he's, and he said that he didn't, he never enjoyed winning as much as he, as he should have. And he didn't enjoy the, the good things that happened. And he, and he really, he was, you know, he had bouts of depression. I mean, he's talked about these things. He's written about them. And for him to be reduced to this caricature 
And that's what it is. It's a caricature of, of an out-of-control maniac. I just think it's unfair to a guy who's tried to do the right thing and say, look, I have problems. I've had problems throughout my life with this, and I'm trying to get better, and I'm trying to do better, and I'm, I'm trying to do the right thing. Um, but having said that, I mean, it's like, Tony, it's like the movie JFK, right? Was it a great movie? Yes, it was a great movie. It was an incredible yeah. movie. Yes, it was. Terrible history. It was awful, wrong yeah. history. It yeah. didn't happen. The things that they purport that happened in that movie did not happen. <laughs> so, and the things that they're saying happened in this series did not happen. So I can appreciate the craftsmanship while saying this is, you're, you're calling this person Jerry West, and you're assigning characteristics and you're assigning behaviors to him that the actual Jerry West didn't do, and that's not right, and it's not fair. I agree with all of that. Um, I do. I, I recommended the other day the Kareem story when he goes through yes. it piece by piece. I mean, it's, you know, if the, the problem with bad history is if the people who you're writing about are still alive. They're that's still right. alive. Mm-hmm. Everybody knows them. You know, it's right. not... It, it's not like talking about John Adams. You know, right. Who knows what happened with John Adams? Like Jerry West right. is right there. Like I can call him. I can call Bel Air and say, "Put Jerry on the phone." It's just Kareem and Magic and all of those yeah. people and Paul they're Westhead, there. who is there. Look, look you don't have to like Paul Westhead, and a lot of people in the NBA didn't like Paul Westhead. But Paul Westhead wasn't a stammering, stuttering fool. Not at you all. Know, Paul Westhead was a really smart guy, and he really believed what he was what he was doing. You know, he really believed in his philosophies offensively. And so, this isn't Paul Westhead. You know, like that's not what happened. You know, so, um, but you know, but is it a fun series? Yeah, it's fun. It's entertaining. I think the people, especially the young man that's playing Magic, really kind of captures Magic's effervescence right and yeah. his personality yep. um but it's not this it's this is not what actually happened you know and and people who can't defend themselves like claire rothman who was an executive for the lakers for a million years and and really one of the first women executives in the league that really had a lot of clout and had a lot of um you know uh, a lot of respect throughout the league you know it's kind of reduced to this non-entity in this series and that's not who she was and she's still alive you know so it's it's yeah it's um it's troubling to your point because all these people are well most of these people are still here yeah you know it's It's so disturbing to me but will i watch it yes i'll watch it i'll watch it okay thank you david david aldridge boys and girls david aldridge we'll take a break we will come back with email and jingle i'm tony kornheiser You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. As you know, I remember nothing in my life. Nothing. People say, do you remember the time? No, I don't. Even things that appear to be very important, I just simply don't remember them. He don't remember. (laughs) And I got teenager going on up and down. Because his memories become tethered from the things that he used to say. Now, his head is ringing, all the memories that it is not bringing, read his old columns to no cognition, 
Recollection has gone away now. Steve Lipton. It's great. It's Earth, Wind, and Fire. It's great. Steve Lipton says, please check out Bill Bardo and Joe Arrow's version of the song. So oh, uh, I guess you can do that. Yes. Um, I don't remember anything, but I do remember all the lyrics to all the songs that I ever heard in my life. So I'm not... Carol said to me the other day, aren't you worried about this? And I said, no, I'm not worried about this because I remember all the songs. Right. So I'm not worried about this. You know, I remember my son's name is Mitchell. I remember this. <laughs> Uh, Bethesda Bagel. Bethesda Bagels. We love them. You will as well. All you need to do is go to BethesdaBagels.com for the location in the D.C. area nearest you. Then pop on in and you'll be thrilled. Every day uh, we have a song and every day I look at the song and do I remember it right away? And almost all the time I remember it right away. Yes. And every day is this song and it's Buddy Holly. Every day it's a getting closer, going faster than a roller coaster. Love like yours will surely come my way. A hey, a hey, hey. Every day it's a getting faster. Everyone says go ahead and ask her. Love like yours will surely come my way. Buddy Holly, of course, the day the music died. Thanks to our guests today, Jay Billis, David Aldridge. Aldridge was great. So is Billis, but Aldridge was great. Thanks to today's sponsors, Framebridge Freshly. Remember, you can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and Odyssey. If you get the show through Apple Podcasts, please leave us a review. Yes? I forgot to put Jason on that list. Oh, Jason Samino. Jason Samino, who was terrific. That yeah. was fun. Oh, that was good. From Andy Shaner in Sun Prairie, Wisconsin. Some years back, you and the gang were kind enough to let me visit the old Rockville studio. I brought sandwiches from Morton's and got to meet Nigel, Gary, and Kip Schmeeman. <laughs> what put the experience over the top was that Wendy Rieger happened to be sitting in that day. She offered me bagels and uttered a few choice words off the air that made it a uniquely memorable morning. From the internet show to breakfast to chatter, the genuine live interaction between friends has made this show uniquely great over the years. Count me in as a big yes vote to bringing, back, bringing some of that back when you can. Thanks for the clips of Wendy. She will absolutely be missed. Bill in Mount Airy, Maryland. Thank you for your show on Wendy. The clips were great, but your commentary after was proof that she is the kryptonite to an angry orange man. I was happy to hear you mention how you were always smiling when she was in the room with you. We should all be so lucky to have someone like that in our lives. By the way, my wife drives a Subaru, but not because she loves our family more. In fact, our kids hate that car. It's a four-door sedan, three kids crammed in the back seat, makes for a lot of complaining, and the fact that it's a stick shift means no millennials know how to drive it, and it is a great theft deterrent. Yes, it is. From Sonia Martin in Atlanta, Georgia, with 12 kitchen outlets. I was driving in my car, taking my 12-year-old uh, dog for a cardiac ultrasound, as one does. When I pressed play on my favorite podcast of the last decade plus, I had not heard the news about Wendy. Had no idea the impact the first minute of the show would have. When I heard our loss of our friend Wendy Rieger, I said, oh my God, out loud to my dog. My heart sank, and I know how much you loved each other and what a fantastic person she appeared to be. It is always a strange thing to be rattled by losing someone you did not know but felt like you did. I am still saddened by the loss of such a light. She's one of the coolest people on the show. She exuded love through the airwaves. My sincerest condolences for the loss of your friend. Hope and healing to all. From Ryan Sailing in Plymouth, Michigan. I never lived in the D.C. area, nor was I ever lucky enough to have seen a Wendy Rieger newscast, but I found myself shaken as I scrolled Twitter on Easter morning. 
uh, to read of her battle with cancer had ended. I was anxious to download the podcast of your tribute to her. The segment you all put together of her appearances was more than I could have hoped for. The discussions with you and Wendy and the David Aldridge giggles at the conversation topics had me in fits of laughter between the tears. She was the best guest you ever had. I was parked outside a restaurant on Pacific Coast Highway in Laguna Beach, California on a work trip while listening to the windshield kickout story. <laughs> like Flutie's past, I will never forget where I was when I heard that. My heart felt sympathies to all of those who knew and loved her. The show will never be the same, and I will always be grateful for those times and laughs. From John Palmer in Minneapolis, I've been a little for just a few years, really not long enough to have a grasp of the legend of Wendy Rieger beyond knowing it's a legend, but I found myself stricken by the old clips played in memoriam on Monday's show. I stopped what I was working on as I heard stories of kicked-in windshields and Saliza's comments and D.A.'s laugh. Have you ever heard a better laugh than D.A.'s laugh? Those familiar old things back to the fore. It occurred to me by the show's end that I had attended a funeral. Well, those who have each gone their separate ways find themselves together and united in joy and grief. Now, don't get me wrong. The show still stinks. But damn, if every now and again it isn't downright human. I was talking with Tori yesterday. And Tori loved what we had done as well. And it's, it's look, it's pretty simple. Um, you don't want to hear us talk about someone when yeah. you can hear someone. You just, you know, it's, that's the difference. If you have the clips, play the clips. From Josh Cromwell in Moselle, Mississippi, like everyone else, I was saddened to hear of the passing of the utterly inimitable Wendy Rieger. I hope that Littles everywhere will kick out a windshield, preferably a Subaru windshield, <laughs> in her honor. Um, from Anthony Shelver, I'm sorry, from Lyle. From Lyle in Savannah, Georgia, the Channel 4 News team of Wendy Rieger, Jim Vance, Doreen Gensler, and George Michael, they didn't just report on Washington, they were Washington. I always felt that way, too. Yes. I always felt their longevity and their relationship made them Washington. From Charlie Burtz in Springfield, Virginia, I probably speak Tony for many littles when I say that though I never met Wendy Rieger, I feel as though I've lost a friend. The chemistry that brewed during your visits was palpable. Your loss is our loss. Uh, Kevin Goldberg, Washington, D.C. Like many littles, I have been to the Tenley Town Target more regularly than I'd care for someone who actually lives across town on Capitol Hill. Unfortunately, for the past two months, I've had to hop into one of my two Subarus and take my dog to a specialist at Friendship Animal Hospital, which is about three or four blocks it's away. It's a bad parking situation. It is oh, terrible parking. Awful. Yes. Carol pulled into the lot once, and the side of the car was never the same. Yeah, going up the cork crew? It's oh, yeah, it's miserable. Um, the appointments usually last Even just long enough manual. for me to walk over to that Target <laughs> yes. to pick up a few things, and today it happened. You can probably see where this is going. Among the things I needed were some children's chewable gummy vitamins, which put me near the pharmacy. Stop me if you see where this is going. I'm looking around. Trying to find them, and I hear a female voice say, Can I help you? Please stop me if you see where this is going. I look up, it's a pharmacist, so I say, Thank you, but I'm not here for the pharmacy, just looking for children's vitamins. And she says, Helpfully, it's not a problem. They're right over in that island. At that moment, I notice her name tag. It said Louise Gluck. Just kidding. It's Evelyn. Of course, it's Evelyn. Uh, from Eric Robertson in Dartmouth in Nova Scotia. I've been to Dartmouth. That's where you take the ferry from Halifax. Halifax to Dartmouth and back to Halifax. What do you put cottage cheese on? You just eat it directly from the container. I eat it from the container. I stand at my sink <laughs> with a fork and I eat it from the container. I don't put it on a plate. I don't put it on anything. I don't put anything on it. No. Uh, from ER and KC's. Forget counting the number of outlets. That's done. How many kinds of salt you got in your kitchen? I've got six. <laughs> Morton's table salt, two kinds of pink Himalayan salt, kosher Diamonds garlic. Kosher. kosher garlic, and yes, all natural sea salt. Is there any other You're kind? missing the Maldon. You know. <laughs> I've, I've got three right by the, okay. right by the range. From Dwayne Buck. Last <laughs> no month, I deal. took a long overdue trip to Iceland. A long overdue trip to Iceland. 
While being driven from Reykjavik to our destination to meet up with our tour group, we were waiting at a stoplight to turn left. There were two lanes turning to the left and two going straight. When we turned left, we noticed a renegade Subaru Forester in the lane going straight, decided to make the left turn beside us. As soon as he turned, a motorcycle policeman came out of nowhere and pulled the Subaru over. I didn't say anything, but I noticed the driver in the rearview mirror looking, wondering why I was laughing in the back seat. It's too cold to roll down the window and give him the TK salute. From Patton, Wisconsin. I was fortunate to have a friend from Augusta invite my wife and I to the Friday round of the Masters. You were there, Mike. Beautiful. Friday. Cold morning. The course is remarkably hilly. All know it. Everything is spectacular. That, too, is known. What's not mentioned, and is truly the gift of Augusta, is the rule not to bring a phone. Strictly enforced. What is the outcome of no phone? You talk to real people, ones you know or have just met for eight hours. Your neck actually can look horizontally, not down into the cell phone imaginary world. You meet people that if you had a phone, you would completely ignore as you search for an answer to a useless question on your phone. Going to the Masters is not a realistic way to get society to interact. We all can't go. But if you ever have the chance, when your host says, no phones or I lose my tickets, do not view it as a disappointment, but as a gift. A haiku from Shad. No club soda or baking powder, but you schmaltz. They will sink like rocks. That's about matzo balls, of course, for those of you who don't know. And one more from Alex Reese in Frederick, Maryland. Just wanted to update you on Sean Doolittle. And he's out now. He's on the injured list. Through six appearances this season, he has thrown five and one-third innings with six strikeouts, one hit, zero walks, and zero earned runs. I never thought I would say it, but Corbin needs to pitch more like the Mitterrand. <laughs> Thanks for the great show. If you're out on your bike tonight, everyone, as always, do wear white. Later, he gets the rebound, passes it to the man, shoots it, and boom goes and... the dynamite. <laughs>
But there's a picture that knows 